Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Brief Dialogue, affectionately known as Brief Verse. Today, I'm excited to invite uh, Dr. Karen Smith to our podcast. I met Karen at a conference for the Final Exit Network in Las Vegas, and I, she has so much to share with her current work that I thought it was important to bring her here today to talk about what she does. Um, as I mentioned, Dr. Karen Smith actually is a clinical ethicist in the Detroit area. Uh, welcome, Karen, Dr. Smith, and could you tell us a little bit about what you do and actually what is a clinical ethicist? Sure. Um, so my elevator talk for people that I meet when they say, what are you? And they're like, are you an anesthetist? <laughs> you know? Um, do you put people to sleep? <laughs> do you give facials, right? I'm always confused <laughs> okay. with those people, um, estheticians and anesthetists. And I'm like, no, I'm a clinical ethicist. And I tell people that actually my profession didn't exist 50 or 60 years ago. Um, it exists because of the advancing in medical technology. And if, if you think back even like 60 years ago, most of the time doctors would come out and they would say, I am so sorry, there's nothing more we can do. But advancing medicines and technology have increased things such that now there's always something more that we can do. And they're really tough decisions to become what we ought to do for specific patients in specific situations, right? So ethicists really help um, decide what we ought to do for each patient in whatever situation they're in. My degree is actually in philosophy, which specializes in critical thinking, and ethics is a branch of applied philosophy. So I utilize the critical thinking skills and working with patients and families, um, oftentimes in hospital situations, facing those decisions that come at the end of life. Okay, it sounds like, thanks for enlightening us, and it's good to know that there are people out there like you to kind of help shepherd us through this unusual time. And I say unusual because end of life can be easy, but it's difficult. And Absolutely, and you know, that's like the biggest point. Never before this current age, in fact, I would even say in the last five or 10 years, mm -hmm. where families ask to really have an active decision in when their loved one would die. Now, we actually go to families and say, ought we pull the plug, right? Should we remove them from this artificial life support? Mm -hmm. Because medical technology has become so complex that if you have an arrest, even an out-of-hospital arrest, um, EMS will come, they will bring you to the hospital, and we might save you in that moment from dying acutely, and then we will attach you to our advanced medical technology. You are on medical technology for a period of time until it becomes apparent that you, Elizabeth, will not be able to go back to the person that you bore formally. We will not be able to get you back to living your life, yet you are not dying. You are trapped in our medical technology and families put in the unique position of actually having to participate in making those decisions about the end of your life. Right, right. So definitely 21st century thought in terms of dealing with families. Uh, when I first met you and we were talking in Las Vegas, you were describing how you, in your job, in your profession, you create memorable dying memories for people. Uh, and you shared a story with me about handprints 
could you kind of go into a little bit more about what the concept creating memorable memories memorable memories is the concept and then kind of share with us some some things people have done sure that if you look at a time of someone's dying, um, there needs to be some reframing of how we look at that. And especially hospitalized dying is very complex. Um, oftentimes people say that, you know, they want to die at home, but increasingly it doesn't happen for a variety of reasons. Patients do die in the hospitals, and I think we need to try to piece together some reframing of ways to make positive memories of that effect. And there can still be some beautiful moments and oftentimes, even when patients are very, very ill and very sick and dying in hospice and they have tubes or lines or things like that, I, I try to focus families on their values and what's important to them about being with that loved one. And I think if we could kind of do some of that sifting about what are your memories, what's most important to you about your loved one, your mother with her daughter, your son, um, your sister, what do you remember and how can we make a memory that's important and valuable for you? Sometimes it comes down to simple things. Um, I recently had a very young mom, she was 32, and she had three young children. And these young children were like two, four, and seven. So some of them wouldn't, you know, be able to have memories of their mother when they grow. Um, so we took the mother's hand and put it in primary paint. So as soon as we took home, the patient was comatose and not really cognizant of it at all, but the family was. And we took the children's favorite color. And for the two-year-old, they know some things, and their mommy's hand held theirs for a long time, mm -hmm. and they know their favorite color is purple, right? So we made a handprint, a mommy's handprint for that child in purple. And for the four-year-old, her favorite color was yellow, and there was a handprint of the mommy in yellow. And for the seven-year-old, her favorite color was blue, so we made a handprint so each child then had a memory of their mother's handprint um, to carry with them as something tangible and relatable to them because they do color painting. They do those things. They make their handprints to carry forward um, as a memory. And we also then put a locket here with that. Um, for the children, it would have been scary for them to see the mom hooked up to all the machines and mm -hmm. intensive care. Um, but then once we removed all of that, we got them on that was a memory that we kind of facilitated um, for them to help them see the breathing, breathing that they were to go on with. Right, right. And beautiful, and colorful story. <laughs> really sweet. Um, so are there other uh, ideas that people might think of? For example, when we were talking just now about you know, special memories and having to bring them up, sometimes I feel that in preparing for someone's death, that I find it helpful for me to start thinking what some of those memories are that I want to share. And I've actually um, shared some of those memories with the person after I first written it down. Um, a good friend of mine long, long time ago died of um, just breast cancer. And I just wrote her what she had met to, to me in the 10 years, and I found out later after she died that had said that she actually told her every day to read my letter to her because she wanted to hear that she made an impact on somebody's life. So that's my experience. What is yours with your clients? So I think really that it all goes back 
feel the uniqueness of each individual. And so if you think about your ethical values for the economy and dignity of persons, each person is different. There are some people who are very frugal and maybe they will be coming back towards the end of their life and you go back to the ancient days of calling forth to the bedside and giving and receiving of forgiveness and love. And for some people, that's it. There are families who don't talk about emotions. They just don't. And for them, it may be watching um, Cheech and Chong movies, right? That's what they did together. That was their good time and their good mm-hmm. moments. And mm-hmm. so I'll say, bring in that movie and watch it again. Um, it may be other people that appreciate singing and music. Mm-hmm. I had a patient once who we brought in a 16-piece mariachi band to the hospital. <laughs> and, and that. And so I encouraged the family to make a recording of that music and that time. Because then when they go back, they will remember, remember the beauty and the love of being there. Another thing I do oftentimes is encourage families to take pictures. When someone's dying, oftentimes a lot of people gather in a room with families. Mm -hmm. Families will come together from out of state and out of town. Mm -hmm. And I will refrain them and say, what you want to remember is not the awful grief of losing your loved one. Mm -hmm. What you want to remember is the tremendous amount of love that you have in your family Mm -hmm. and support of all of you here together. Mm -hmm. And I'll encourage them to place their hands on the bed of the patient and hold the patient's hands and we'll sometimes take a photograph of that and it doesn't show the patient in their illness mm-hmm. it shows the family members hands linked together mm-hmm. sometimes in prayer sometimes in song sometimes just being together so that when they look back upon that photograph what they see and remember by reframing is the love in the room and the family and not necessarily the grief and the dying which is a normal part of life right right and beautiful image that brings to my mind. So Dave Smith, you are in a a particular hospital that is very forward thinking to even have a clinical ethicist on their staff. What advice might you give those who are, their loved ones are in other hospitals and maybe they're not offered this type of service that you recommend? Yeah, so so those things that I've been talking about really aren't from a clinical ethics service. It's from my love of helping families through death and dying experiences. So I think that any family member, any nurse, anybody working in the health and protective and civil defense field can do this. It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? right. <laughs> it's really just saying, taking something that we all have to go through, which is the losing loved ones, and trying to say, how can we add meaning to this? Um, how can we make it special and unique, even in the midst of grief? Mm-hmm. And even it, I think it really does help those who are losing, even their spouse or their children or their siblings, to reframe it to be larger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Because when someone's dying, you tend to focus on your loss, right? And so even if you focus that to say, this is a terrible thing, how can I remember the good parts of it? And you may think there's nothing good there, but you have time and space to make something good. Mm -hmm. So that's an opportunity, right? right? So advocate for making that whatever opportunity is important for your family member and for you to get through it. Right, right. And, you know, I always say ask, right? Who says you can't bring a (laughs) 16-piece mariachi band (laughs) into the hospital? It's not in the laws. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, 
one last question that I have for you for this podcast, I, I really hope you come back, is what about the sudden death? Yeah, sudden deaths are tough, but I think there are still some things. Um, oftentimes, as we do with fetal demise, um, it's very tragic when someone's working for nine months and expecting a beautiful baby at the end of it, and they have a baby pass away. We'll make plaques of our hands and feet mm-hmm. so they can remember those little hands and feet, which mm-hmm. oftentimes those are still pretty imperfect, yeah. right? Right. So even with those sudden deaths, and sometimes disfiguring deaths, mm-hmm. right, if it's by accident or injury or suicide, something like that. Um, trying to find those things you could focus on that are still able to leave a good memory. And it may be a lock of hair. It may be a handprint or a picture of a hand holding their hand with maybe their wedding ring or, you know, a piece of jewelry that they have that's meaningful. Um, keeping something like that as a positive memory of that person as a brave one to go for. If we think back to the Victorian era where people used to make those um, keepsakes, right, from the deceased pair and things like that, those are kind of, those were meaningful rituals that we've kind of lost, and we need to find new ways of recreating those that are meaningful for today's um, families. Right, right. Oh, I love that idea. Very good. I also uh, like to promote the fact of loving people before they die, before mm-hmm. they get sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's also ways to write them a letter or if you do hear of a, of a diagnosis perhaps, mm-hmm. to write a letter to that person expressing how much you love them. And this is, these are excellent ideas, and I already have a couple of them that I'm going to say, a couple of ideas I'm going to say of my own husband, whose both his parents are quite elderly and are in the hospital and uh, he's kind of putting off the grieving process and I think probably it would be a good idea is to have him start sending photos to Mrs. Lynch instead of sure and video right of with the person taking those pictures with the person Thank you again, Dr. Smith, for coming today and telling us about this wonderful idea of creating a memory. And I hope you'll come back and we'll talk about some more fun things. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk with you. And just so everyone knows, Dr. Smith and I will be at the Boston Death Salon in September. If you're interested in knowing more about the Death Salon, Google uh, the order of the... Oh, follow... Follow me at Ethics Tick on Twitter and Facebook. Um, If you're interested in ethical issues, death and dying issues, Ethics Tick kind of keeps up with what I'm interested in. Great. And we'll also, when we post this podcast, we'll have all those links so that people can just click on whatever it is you need. Thank you all. See you next time.